HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is made possible thanks to the generosity of our listeners. Show your support at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed podcast. I'm Julie Resnick, co-founder of The Actual Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. I will be your host for season three of the Feed Feed podcast, a special series called What's on Your Table. Each episode, I will be taking a look at a specific country, region, or people and talking to a special guest about the food, recipes, ingredients, and flavors that make up the dishes that are always on their table. Today, we're spotlighting Filipino food, and I can't think of anyone I'd rather speak with than Chef Dale Taldi. Dale's passion for cooking began at a young age. He grew up in Chicago, where he learned to prepare meals alongside his mother in the kitchen. Dale is the proud son of Filipino immigrants. He grew up immersed in his family's cultural heritage while also enjoying life as a typical American kid. Dale applied this distinct Asian-American experience to the menu of his first restaurant, Taldi, which opened in Brooklyn's Park Slope neighborhood in 2012. He then went on to open a Taldi in both Miami and Jersey City. Dale is also a three-time chef testant on Bravo's Emmy award-winning culinary show, Top Chef. Dale has competed on Chopped, Iron Chef America, Knife Fight, and also was the head judge on Knife Fight season four, as well as a guest judge on both Chopped and Beat Bobby Flay. He is currently focused on his hospitality brand, Food Crush Hospitality. Welcome to the Feed Feed podcast, Dale. Hey, thanks for having me. Super psyched to be here. Awesome. Thanks for taking the time. Um, all right. So let's talk about food. Um, you grew up in Chicago, um, son of Filipino immigrants. I'd love to know, you know, what are some of your early food memories of the food that your mother made at home? I mean, my, like the first thing is rice. I don't okay. I don't talk about like Filipino food with uh, in a Filipino household without talking about rice. So that was one of the first things that I actually learned how to make. It was like one of the chores that we had to do. It's like make uh, make a pot of rice before your dad gets home. Um, <laughs> kind of that like almost sweet smell of, of freshly cooked rice is something that's like really distinctive in 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 um, 
in my memory. And um, just, and also like a, a real sharpness in the air when it came to the food of the Philippines. Cause it's, you know, it's very, um, it, it, it's, it, it leans very heavy on things like vinegar. So there was uh-huh. always like really sharp kind of, um, a, you know, the sharp sharpness in the air when my mom was cooking, whether it was like, you know, vinegar or garlic or tamarind, um, you know, it's not very spicy cuisine, but, um, it, it has a, a certain sharpness to it that, um, it plays really well with and balances well with, you know, just like plain steamed white rice. So, um, those are very fond memories of mine. You know, my mom kind of cooking down onions and garlic, um, really heavy before she puts chicken and makes chicken adobo. And that was kind of like something we always had, uh, laying around. Um, that was something my, you know, my mom would always make that for us and was always a crowd pleaser. Love it. Um, so I, I remember reading somewhere that I think your mom made, maybe it was like a fish soup or a stew that, um, you maybe didn't want to have one day and, uh, you decided you wanted to have pancakes. And from there, that was kind of like your entry to cooking your own food, uh, Tell us a little bit about uh, cooking alongside your mom in the kitchen and kind of your journey with becoming to becoming a chef. Yeah. So, I mean, I think um, there's a lot of aha moments when it comes to me and food. Um, one of them was that and I, I tell my I, I asked my mom, she remembers it. And she's like, I don't remember it at all. <laughs> I had three kids. You know, we had three kids. My dad, I cooked for. Um, she, my mom was a nurse and she worked the overnight. So she worked 11 to 7, 11 PM to 7 AM. So, you know, God bless my mother. She still found time to cook for all of us and made sure that we had like home cooked meals. Um, That's amazing. yeah, so it's, it's a dish called synagogue that I love now. And it's actually amazing with fish heads. Um, it gets this real like unctuous quality to it. Yeah. And I love it now, but as a kid, like, you know, you come home and it, that's kind of like the last thing I wanted to see, and was, <laughs> you know, like, you know what? I want apple pancakes. I'm going to make it. I, there's a box of, 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 pa- of pancake mix I've been staring at for a while. Can't be that hard. And I just like looked at the, ba- ba- uh, the behind the box and I was like, I read this recipe. I was like, all right, you know, this is not that hard. And I made it and I was like, kind of like this bing, like I can do this. Um, there's one of those moments there was, you know, in high school when you have to like, in English class, you have to describe how to make or do an action, yeah. whether it's like how to shoot a basketball, how to, you know, fix a tire or how to make a bed. But you just have to you have to describe it and write it out for people. Um, and mine was how to make a cheesecake. And at the time I was working at a grocery store and, uh, you know, when there was downtime, those like. Dollar. um there were part coupon, part recipe books that were sitting like by the candy and all like the, there's like that impulse. Yep. I'll mm-hmm. pick them up and one of the recipes was like this espresso cheesecake. And I looked at the recipes. I looked at the recipe. I was like, this isn't that hard to make. Um, and that was the recipe that I used to describe, you know, um, these actions. So then you may, I made it and I gave it to the class and, the teacher was like, yo, this is really good. And I was like, well, it was really easy. Thanks. Um, and that's kind of like, I, you know, that's another aha moment for me. But like, I would say co- early on cooking with my mom wasn't really a thing. It was more just watching my mom. Um, yeah. Very similar. So cooking yeah. with my mom was like, 
you know, too many cooks or too many chefs spoil the soup. That was it. Like, you know, my mom would tell me how to do it one way and I'd want to do it another way. But it was really just watching my mom cook. And it was the idea of like, you know, there's home cooked meals at the house all the time. Um, and that was special. And, um, you know, my mom was one of like eight sisters. She had like three or four brothers. And um, so it's a large family. A lot of them lived in Chicago. So when we ever had, you know, holiday um, dinners, whether it was Thanksgiving or Christmas, it was always like a potluck. And, mm-hmm. you know, a conversation on the phone with the sisters. What are you making? What do you want to eat for Thanksgiving? What do you, you know, and my mom, one of the things that my mom was really known for was her wonton soup. And it's called pancit molo in, 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 in my mom's dialect. And um, it, I always was very curious during these times, like, what is what, which aunt is making what? Yep. You know, and is and, that because you really love to eat all of this food? I mean, are you? They missed it. You know what I mean? They missed yeah. it. And certain, certain ants did certain things better than others. Like that was their <laughs> thing, you know? Um, and they're all great cooks. I mean, phenomenal cooks. But some were just better than others in certain things. So, and, you know, my, my mom's was, you know, my cousins would always ask my mom, could you make your Christmas ham? Mm-hmm. And which she basically took a pre-cooked ham and then braised it down in more sugar and made it like this sweet, like really sweet and savory ham. But like it, it, it took in more moisture. So it wasn't kind of like this like lean, lean ham. It, it was like really kind of fall party. Um, imagine just like braising bacon. Love it. That was kind of like with a, sh- with a sugar crust. But she would ditch the sugar crust and add like like twice the amount of sugar, and it was like this really delicious, sugary, sweet, um, salty ham. But then she also made this soup, and um, this is the wonton soup. Yeah, she also made this wonton soup, and it got my head spinning about like just about food in general, like you know, like where it comes from and who's making it, and and why is this? Why are you very good at this? what makes it different than when my mom makes this or like, you know what right. I mean? So, right. Uh, and uh, so, I just got so what is in that wonton soup? What makes it so special? It's chicken and shrimp. So my mom boil, uh, my mom um, takes chicken bones and boil. And I, you know, her, she'll always say like, this is with a lot of my mom's cooking and a lot of Filipino cooking. And I think in general, like anything that any of this, like romance language cooking, like the sofrito starts, right. And the Philippines yeah. is, you know, colonized by the Spaniards. So there's this idea of sofrito, whether Filipinos call it sofrito or not. It's onions, garlic, possibly tomato, uh, and sometimes ginger. And that's kind of their sofrito, right? Yep. The so mom starts with just onions and garlic. But it's honestly, one, what I noticed, it's the way they toast it off. And it's the way my mom cuts her onions. And I know it sounds crazy. But like when you're in culinary school, you julienne an onion from like, you don't cross section an onion. Then you know the the French say if you cut it, you know from like root top to root, right? It breaks the cells of the onion and then it makes it a it gives it a harsher flavor, right? Yeah. And in French cuisine, it's like they want it sweeter. It's never this robust flavor of onion. It's like this sweet flavor of onion. And in the Philippines, it's different. They cut it, my mother especially, she cuts it the other way. And what right. I noticed, it, it has this like much more robust flavor of onion. It's, it's, it's hard to describe. 
And then the way she toasts it, you know, in the French cuisine, it's like you caramelize it slowly. And no, in the Philippines, it's like really hot and fast. Fast. Love it. It's yeah. fast. You get that golden brown color quickly and then you stop it. But it's already infused. The onion and the garlic has infused the oil with that toasty flavor already. It's yeah. kind of similar to like how Italians, when they take a whole clove of garlic and they toast it in the olive oil first and then they pull the olive, the garlic out. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, it's similar to that, except we leave the we leave the onions and garlic inside. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of where it started and kind of like where I see my mom's cooking and some of the some of the things that I've taken from her. Because like every mom, she just doesn't measure anything. Like, right. But her wonton soup starts with that. And then she chops in shrimp shells. She makes a broth properly. She strains the shrimp shells out. And then she, um, her wontons are shrimp and chicken. A little bit of oyster sauce, garlic, ginger, um, scallion. And that's it. Really simple. She seasons the broth with fish sauce. And if she's feeling real fancy, she'll, she'll uh, toast a natto seed in the oil to give it that, like a beautiful, like golden hue. Um, but it's really simple. It's not really that complicated, but it just, I don't know, it's a real feeling of home for a lot of us. Uh, my cousins, my, 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 and I know my, my aunts, cause they ask my mom to make it. Right. Love it. So, um, when did you decide to go to culinary school? Uh, I, I grew up, you know, I was like in eighth grade, eighth or ninth grade when I started watching, um, coming home from school and watching, I think it was ninth grade, watching, um, it was a freshman in high school when I started watching like all like the Food Network dump and stir shows. Yeah. Right. It was like, well, I was watching like Martin Yan, um, the Galloping Gourmet. Um, I watched Malta Mario. And later and later in the evening, we were watching Emerald, and my my mom, my mom and myself would we would watch it together. Uh huh. My mom would be like, you know, I like you know like one day I want to try that or that looks good or like you know I it's something that I would never make, but we would watch it together and um, there was this idea of like hey, you know I had other jobs before like I was a telemarketer I was I worked at a grocery store which was awesome because working at a grocery store I think is a real introduction to food because you have to like. You're around it all the time, you know. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you're around, and 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 it was a grocery store that was very, uh, in in a very ethnically diverse neighborhood. Okay. So it wasn't just Latin specialty goods, or here's the ethnic section, right? It was like you would walk into the produce section, and there was like tomatillos and poblanos and jalapenos and serranos, and I had to know as a you know a check as someone you know who worked the cash register, you had to know the codes for all these. So I right. had to. So you had to know the difference between all the different peppers. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. like an early introduction into product ID. You know what yep. I mean? Like I knew a lot of these vegetables before I went to culinary school, even though I had never eaten them before, because I had to know what the code was for them. Yeah, yeah. You were like, oh, two seven one zero four. Yeah, that's <laughs> or whatever. Or tomatillos. You know what? When you work at a grocery store, you start to see real trends, especially yeah. in the neighborhood, right? Like, you know. The, the the Indian families would come up and it would be like butter and chilies and tons of spices and um, never any meat, you know, tons of vegetables. And, you know, in my head, I'm like, why is, why is there so much dairy in this cuisine? And you're like, oh, yeah. you're vegetarians. And mm -hmm. then, you know, you know, you would see and a lot of Mex I mean, Chicago's there's a ton of Mexican, you know, Mexican immigrants there. So it, 
you know, I like I love Mexican food because of that. Like I was introduced to it so young, but you would see them come up with like masa harina and lard and, you know, like four pork shoulders and tons of chilies and, you know, corn husk. And you're like, I wonder what they're making. And then years later, I'm like, dude, they're making tamales for Christmas. Yeah. You know, so it's like this, like, um, I don't know, it was amazing. I, mean, I, I know I went on a tangent there, but like that was like my introduction to food and, and, and cooking. And um, a lot of it was, some of it was like, it inspired like the question, but some of it was, mm-hmm. I just fell into it. Like you work as a, at a grocery store and people don't think about it, but like, you know, the, the guy who was in charge of like the prepared foods in the grocery store was a dude I went to high school with. He was older than me, but we went to the same high school. We're like, hey man, what's up? You know, we, we obviously go to the same high school. And he's like, and I would go there to get something to eat, he goes, don't eat this. Eat this. And right. he was in the direction of like the braised meat. All yep. the things that can sit and hold really well. And he's like, right. yeah, I made that today. These are bomb. And I'm like, oh, but I want a piece of fried chicken. He's like, yeah, but that was cooked like four hours ago. <laughs> I was like, damn, bro. You know, like, you know, you start to understand food in a way that like only people who are around it all the time understand it. So it's kind of cool. He always steered me in the direction of like, Hey, dude, you got to get the stuffed cabbage. I'm like, I don't know, man. That looks weird. He goes, no, trust me. It's been sitting in this tomato sauce for like three hours and it's like braised perfectly and it's like awesome. So you get a bite of it and you're like, dude, you're right. Thank you. (laughs) That's great. It's so interesting. Um, I find myself doing that actually when I'm at the grocery store, kind of looking around and seeing what's in other people's carts and kind of, you know, wondering even, you know, what the person checking out um, or checking me out is is kind of thinking about my cart because do tend to have a lot of vegetables and um, dairy as well. Um, all right. So, so at a certain point you decide to, um, you know, go to culinary school and you went to CIA, correct? Correct. The, um, yeah. the, the CIA. And um, what was that experience like for you? I mean, you know, it was my first, it was my first and only college experience. Um, you know, I was just turned 18 um first time away from home so it was party yeah. <laughs> yeah, i'm gonna pretend like i was like you know i was deep into the books i was like party i was 18 years old away from home like partying like trying to have fun it was like but i will say that it was an amazing you know as much as i like thought that okay this is like away from home doing all this stuff, you can't help to learn through osmosis when you're at a, an environment like the cia you know there is no place in the world that's like it. You know, you go to like 40 different kitchens and learn from 40 different chefs. It's amazing. It's really an amazing, it's an amazing place. Um, you know, I wish I was older and took advantage of some of the classes uh, more than I did, you know, instead of like showing up like super hungover and, <laughs> you know, stoned from last night. But um, I mean, it's it's crazy. Like, where can you go go someplace and someone say make a hundred pound batch of baguettes of French of bread? Yeah. And then me not read a recipe and it's only like five ingredients and not realize I didn't put salt in it. And then the oh. chef goes, okay, we'll throw the entire thing away. Oh. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, but that's school. It's like at work, it's like, okay, throw it away and punch out and don't ever come back. <laughs> <laughs> at school, they're just like, okay, start over. Yeah. Amazing experience. I wouldn't have traded it for anything in the world. Um, anyone who, you know, like, I know people poo-poo school. It's like, listen, it's not for everybody, you know? And 
and it costs money. It's expensive. Yeah. Um, but if you have the means and you really want to get the most well-rounded education, there's no place like it, uh, especially to just be immersed in such like if you're serious about being a culinarian and especially in this this day and age, like. Even if cooking is if like being a chef and owning your own restaurant and being like isn't your thing, if you love food and know about want to know about food and be just in the food world, even like what you guys are doing, like it, it would help so much. In media. If you yeah. go to school, like if you know, um, you know, you know about cooking and you know about like, uh, you know, like all everything about cooking, you know how to fillet a fish. It's like, listen, that is a life skill that at some point in your life, you'll you'll bust it out. And someone will be like, damn. Yeah. Well, especially fillet. now, you know, I mean, people are cooking um, mm-hmm. at home so much more than ever. Yeah. I mean, that's that's exactly right. Um, we. I, I went to culinary school. I went to the Institute of Culinary Education and, you know, it was a nine month program that I went through on the weekends while I had a job, you know, in New York as a 25 year old. Um, and so I did that Saturday and Sunday, nine to five. Um, and that's how I found actually pretty much all of our food editors. Um, Molly, who's our the first food editor I hired, you know, I, I contacted ICE uh, and said, you know, can you put you know, a listing up on the job board. But that's always been important for me that someone has had that, you know, classic training, um, knows, you know, how to cook, um, knows the techniques, can write a recipe. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it's super important. Yeah, um, I mean, I was the youngest by seven years in my class, in my class. And I mean, everybody was like this burnout. Like, I'm yeah. like, there was like, there was like four people there that are like, this is it for me, man. I've gone to college three times and then this is my last just my last ditch effort to get a diploma in some form. Um, and then there was, you know, there was some guys who were there that are like, I want to be there was two specific people that that, that said, I want to be a food critic. And I was like, wow, that's insane. But it did. It makes so much sense now. They went to school so that they could be an expert in this field. You know what I mean? Like, so, so they would have so much credibility if they said, I don't think you steered that steak properly. Well, right. What do you know? Food critic. No, I went to culinary school and I worked in kitchens before, and that's yep. not a properly steered steak. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. We had some people like that in our class too, um, especially because it was a weekend class. So everyone, and it was right after September 11th. So everyone was sort of like questioning Transitioning. what they were doing, kind of like now, you know, it's like, I think mm-hmm. we're in a big transition period. Um, in, in the world. Um, so, okay. So you graduated from culinary school and what'd you do? Um, really homesick. I had a nephew that was like three or four who my brother's like one of my, was my, is, you know, he's one of my best friends. So I, well, I missed home. So I went back to Chicago and worked at an Outback Steakhouse as my first gig. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. Is that, the, is that, um, I feel like I remember what they have like a famous appetizer, right? It's like an oh, onion. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> oh my God. I wasn't privileged enough to work that station. Um, they put me, they put me on saute, which was like even harder. I was like, dude, I, I should be doing onions all day. Like, <laughs> you should not be trusting me to cook anything besides throwing something in a fryer. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was, you know, it was like a job I had to take because my mom's like, I am not going to support you. You have, you, you went to culinary school. So go get a job. So I went and got a job and, um, you know, I was a total, 
burnout, like just smoking weed right before I get my shift. It was like such, I'm such an idiot. Um, but then a job listing came up and this is like so long. I mean, yo, I'm like 42 and I started cooking. I mean, imagine I was 20, just like, just, tur- I, you know, I have the associate degree. So I was like, just turned 20. And, um, I had you look in the paper in the help wanted section. There was no Craigslist. There was, right, no, right, yeah. there was no eater or any of this other stuff around, you know, um, I graduated in 98. December of 98. So, um, it is 99 and I, and, uh, there was a, a listing, uh, help wanted for a restaurant called Vong and John George Von Gerichten is opening his first restaurant in Chicago. And I was like, very, you know, partnered with Let Us Entertain You, a very reputable restaurant um, group in Chicago. And I was like, all right, let me go, go out for it. Applied. I got a call back. They're like, you got to come in and do a tasting. I'm like, what? All right, whatever. I came in. I mean, I'm dude. I'm fresh out of culinary school. Yeah. They're like, let's do a taste. They did a tasting. Um, they give you a mystery box and say, make whatever you want. So what do you make? I made two. I I remember one thing was like some swordfish spring roll, like fresh Vietnamese style spring roll thing. I don't even remember what the second thing was, and I barely finished. It was like my early introduction to like culinary competition. It was so awful. But they're like, yo, man, here's a job if you want it. I'm like, cool. And I didn't really even know who John George was. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, man, this guy's serious. And then I got into the kitchen and, um, you know, my first chef was one of my mentors now to this day. Um, his name's Jeff Felsenthal. Uh, he was like, so he was Charlie Trotter's opening sue at Trotter's. Yeah. Um, a real hard-nosed dude and learned so much. Um, then left there. Went to work at a restaurant called Spring with Sean McLean. I worked with who is probably one of my still my best friends uh, in the culinary world. Her name is Carrie Nahabidian in Chicago, and her cousin Michael Nahabidian. The restaurant called Naha. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked for them off and on for a couple of years, and um, they're just the best. They you know talk about understanding and learning how to cook food that is delicious. Is you know Carrie was never she never was entranced by this like molecular this modernist cooking stuff she's like guys you get a you get a here's a you know 35 day dry age take i have a wood burning oven a wood burning grill. we're gonna cook it properly we're gonna make a bordelaise out of oxtail like we're gonna make proper stocks we're gonna make a bordelaise with oxtail in it she just made food that was what you want to eat in this day it's like it's the food you want to eat now yeah yeah um and bounced around Chicago for a little while. Worked at some, like I worked at Sushi Samba. I worked for a guy named Kevin Shikami. Uh, I worked for this restaurant group called KDK that had a restaurant called Opera. Um, and I got to really make food there. I was a CDC there. And then when I when that ran its course, I said, you know what? I'm gonna I'm going to New York. Uh, everyone said this is the food mecca. So let's go see what it's like. I'd made a friend working at Sushi Samba. Um, she was a pastry chef there and she's like, you can crash on my couch if you want. Her name is Vera Tong. She's amazing, amazing, amazing pastry chef. Um, I had a lot of fun back at, at, at Sushi Samba back in the day. Yeah, like, weird, right? weird time. You know, it was very sex in the city. It was a weird time. A lot of caparinas. Yeah. Um, but uh, I moved to, I went to, came to New York and I met up with her. And the first day, actually dropped my bag. She's like, let's go out to get lunch. 
ate at Spice Market. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like during their off time, so they were, they were they were still serving food, but there's like apps at the at the front section. Yeah, and it was a real magical summery moment of like being in New York in like the meatpacking district when it was the meatpacking district. You know, it was like pastis was there, meat. You know, Spice Market was there. There were still. It was still a little seedy. It was, you know, it was kind of turning into Disneyland, but it was still a little seedy. It hadn't quite turned, yeah. No, there was that awesome French place that I forget that was open super, super late. Um, that was around the corner. I mean, it was just like, you know, Zach Palacio's Fatty Crab was there. Mm-hmm. All those restaurants were down there. And um, instantly I fell in love with New York City. And then that day we ate at WD. And then. After WD, we got cocktails and like late night bites at like Blue Ribbon. And then I'm at Blue Ribbon and like Danielle and his crew walk in at like 2.30 in the morning. And I was like, I have to move here. Like, this is like the most amazing. Like, it was a a magical stars aligned moment. Well, I'm glad you did. And so um, how how soon after you got to New York did you open Taldi? Oh, so I moved to New York in 05, um, and I worked at, I opened Morimoto mm-hmm. with Steven Starr and I, in Morimoto, Mas- um, Masaharu Morimoto. And then I went to Budokan like a year and a half later. And I was at Budokan for a while, almost seven years, eight years, which is, you know, in this. That's a long time. In, in restaurant worlds, it's an eternity to be in a place. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then in, in 2012, I opened Taldi in Park Slope, Brooklyn. So tell us about that. Um, how did you decide to open it? Kind of what are some of the dishes on the menu that, you know, were fan favorites and your favorite dishes? Um, just tell us a little bit about that journey. Yeah, you know, it was an amazing experience. It was, it was a way, it was kind of like lightning in a bottle. You know, Brooklyn was like this thing, right? But Brooklyn became its own, like, brand for a very long time um i i definitely you know I, it still is but the allure of brooklyn is definitely like faded for a lot of us um it was amazing i mean we picked this spot in park slope and you know figured out a place that thought was super dope and um came up with this food that was like i don't know i mean i got on top chef and 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 kind of found my voice through food and, you know, was cooking a lot of food that, I, you know, like that I wanted to eat. Yeah. You know, I, I really understood this idea of what I, I started to understand who I am as an Asian American, a Filipino American, right? Like, hey, as my parents from the Philippines, I'm Filipino. I don't speak it at all. I grew up in Chicago and now I'm living in Brooklyn. So that's where we kind of like pulled inspiration from. Um. And we just started making food that I don't know. I just wanted to eat. I mean, like the bacon and oyster pad thai was is still oh. something I love. I love pad thai, even though it's like it's such a you know when you realize what pad thai is, it's like a dish that was made in like the seventies. It's like a very recent dish. It's not even like super old, you know. Um, but you know, and I think putting our, our my spin and putting bacon and crispy oysters on top, it's like that it was my thing. And then. Um, you know, the Kung Pao chicken wings, it's like that dish that I can't get away from. Like, people just, I come to my, they come to my restaurants and there's like, you have chicken wings? I'm like, yeah, sure. 
Um, you know, I always had this fascination with dumplings, you know, watching my mom make those wontons. So right. um, we made this pretzel and chive, this pork and pretzel, it's pork and, but it's pretzel, pork and chive dumpling. Basically, we just took the pork and chive dumplings and cooked it in lye, in baking soda and lye. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just like you would make pretzels. Exactly. Yeah. And then you, we would, but we would par cook them for a little bit and then we would chill them down and then brush them with egg wash and butter and then we'd pan fry them. And they got all pretzel and chewy. Ah, sounds delicious. Yeah. I mean, the, that's, that's what the food was. I mean, you know, God rest his soul, Anthony Bourdain called my, my, my food like some combination of like genius stoner food. And I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I take it as the highest compliment because. I don't know, like when if when I'm stoned, I want to eat like delicious things. <laughs> you know what I mean, like I don't exactly. I'm, stoned, I'm not like, hey, I think I should get a salad with chicken and <laughs> you know red wine vinaigrette. It's like, yeah, I need a cheeseburger. I want to eat delicious things. So, uh, and that's kind of how Taldi took off. All of us at HRN have been keeping busy despite working and recording from home. This fall, we're proud to announce new shows on the network that each bring important and enlightening stories to listeners around the world. While the world is in turmoil and the future of our country is uncertain, there are certain constants that help keep us going. For us, food and storytelling are essential. While we can't come together in person, Food podcasts from HRN can provide a virtual table we can all gather around. Bringing exceptional stories to your ears and keeping you informed on the ever-changing political and environmental issues of our time is integral to our mission. At a time when the world around us is rapidly changing, HRN is committed to being here for our listening community, and we need you to be here for us. Join our table and help ensure the future of food radio by becoming a member of HRN. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to make a contribution. Check out the latest additions to our lineup while you're there. You can see all of our series at heritageradionetwork.org slash new shows. And tell us about Top Chef. Um, obviously, you've been on several seasons. Um, what what got, has that? Oh, you just got home. I just um, got back from um, filming the next season, um, season eighteen, as a judge. Oh, so, nice. Yeah, very cool experience. Um, Top Chef was amazing, and I think it's 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 an amazing thing to be part of because um, there's a you know Top Chef is one of those things where I know people poo poo kind of like this idea of of like culinary competition um but if you ask anybody that's been on it and what i mean be on it it's not like hey i did i I got kicked off like first or third like to be on that show you have to be on that show for like you know eight episodes or something to really understand the value of what it could give you um it pushes you to this limit of like dude i did not know i could did not know i did not think i could do that and it makes you believe that like literally if you are standing and you have fire you could put food out yeah. Um, it was an amazing experience. I mean, I did season four, which is in Chicago. I did season eight, which was an all-star season. Um, I finished sixth in both of those. Um, it was funny. I was on the show. I was on set this season for 18. And um, 
one of the producers walked up to me and said, you know, you are the, you have the most wins of any person on that's ever done this show that's not made it to finale. And I was like, well, that's cool, but kind of depressing. But... <laughs> Thanks for pointing that out. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, an, I mean, you know, listen, make a dish in 30 minutes with these parameters. I mean, most yeah. people can't make a dish period in 30 minutes. You yet have to make it fit a theme and taste delicious and be, you know, and have like eight or nine people, you know, elbowing you for fryer space or yep. like, it's crazy. It's crazy and it's fun. And it's an amazing experience. Um, and I'd love to do it again. Uh, I, I do though. I do think I'm getting a little long in the tooth. Um, I love that, you know, being a judge, uh, it suits me just fine. Are there any, um, moments from your various TV experiences that are, you know, just you kind of pinch me moments or memorable moments that you can share? Of course. I mean, listen, this this past, this past season, um, you know, and I think everybody will see it. I mean, there was some really extraordinary times that we're living in, obviously, you know, being COVID and we were in Portland and there was massive forest fires and it was just like some really crazy times, but to be able to spend time with some real, you know, a culinary icon like Tom Colicchio, um, someone who is so amazingly um, good at their job and knowledgeable about food like Padma um, mm-hmm. and, um, and someone like Gail Simmons, who is, one of the kindest people you've ever met, but also one of the most uh, like amazing. Uh, her food knowledge is so great. Um, those are pinch me moments. But you know, when you want to talk about pinch me moments, it's like, hey, I you know I was able to spend time with Anthony Bourdain. Yeah. You know, someone who taught taught me how to travel, right? Um, uh, uh, so you know, a hero of mine that whether you loved him or hated him, he he's he's to me he was a hero. Um, but like, you know, to meet Daniel Ballou, to be judged by someone like Wiley Dufresne in his own restaurant, to cook in his kitchen, um, you know, to meet Daniel, you know, to meet all these, ama- David Chang, all these amazing chefs. It's like, um, those are real pinch me moments. And to to be in the same kitchen with such people like, you know, like Richard Blaze and um, judging some, you know, this season with like Melissa King and Kristen Kish and Brooke, uh, you know, Brooke. Brooke Williamson and, uh, you know, um, Kwame Uchi and um, Greggy Gorday. It's like these people are, are, are not just top chefs, you know, not just TV people. They're real chefs who are putting out really good food. So it was an amazing experience. Awesome. So this is a question I've been asking a lot of people recently. Um, do you have any advice for people out there during this time that are, you know, kind of struggling with what they should be doing or if they should, um, you know, pursue their passion. Um, you know, it's obviously strange times, unprecedented times, um, and people are questioning, you know, what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. Do you have any advice for them? Yo, if you think it's hard in what you're doing, it's 10 times harder in restaurants. So if you think that you want to work in a restaurant, go wash dishes for a week in a restaurant, see if you like it. Um, cause yeah, that that'll give you. Yeah, I mean, it'll give you a real lot perspective. Of insight. Yeah, give you a lot totally. of perspective on what it is to to work in restaurants. Um, it's hard, man. I mean, this is listen. If you love food, try cooking. I mean, I, jump into it. You know what I mean? Like, I think jump into it 
uh, with both feet and see if you're into it. But, you know, don't be discouraged when you realize that it might not be for you. This, this isn't for everybody. You know what I mean? Like, it's hard work. It's hard work. There's a re- there's a reason why I've never hired. There's a reason. I'll tell you this, and this isn't a race thing, and it's not a race card, or it's not any of that. I have never hired anybody who has had who. Has like, yeah, I have a diploma. I have a, I have my degree in this. Do you want to wash dishes? <laughs> they don't do it. They don't do it. It's really hard work. It's backbreaking work. Um, you know what I mean? Like th- that's why a majority of the people you hire are 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 immigrants. They're used to the work. So I mean, I think when people talk about like, hey, I don't love my job now. It's like, okay, you don't love your job now. You know, it's like when they think the grass is greener. It's easy to cook at home. Yeah. Real easy to cook at home. It's fun. You got a glass of wine in your hand. You always have friends that are always going to tell you the food's awesome because it's free. <laughs> They're never going to tell you it sucks. They'll help you with the dishes. They'll put stuff away. That's not what restaurants are. That's not what restaurants are. You know, restaurants are like, like I I read our reviews every day and. People are like, this restaurant was terrible. They didn't seat me next to a heater. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I don't want to tell you, like, I have 19 heaters. It's cost me $5,000 to get heaters. And it cost me $700 a week in propane to get these heaters lit. I can't seat everyone right underneath the heater. I can't. You're near one. Yeah. You wore a sweater or a jacket to it. But that's. The environment we're we're in a pandemic still yeah. that is actually getting worse. It's not getting better. So I mean, that's when that's when people like think, oh, I want to follow my passion. I want to, you know, I love food. It's cool to love food. I love food, but not everybody's cut out for this. And it's like the NFL, man. You might love playing football until you get to the league, and then that. <laughs> You know, when you love playing football when you were in college because you were the fastest kid on your class, you're the most athletic dude in your on your team. Now you're now you're in the pros and everyone's as fast as you, but they're twice as big as you and they're just as good, if not better. And when he hits you, it's three times as hard as it was when you were in college. And sometimes you just realize, you know what, I'm not cut out for this. And that's okay. Yeah. And that's super okay. But yeah. you know, people think, think that's that good advice. Go 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 be a dishwasher for a couple of weeks and then Decide. My dishwasher is the most important person in this restaurant. Yeah. And every chef will say the same. They're the most important people in your restaurant. Love it. So what else are you up to these days? Um, talk to us a little bit about Food Crush Hospitality. Yeah, no. So, uh, you know, my wife and I, two years ago, we started a hospitality brand called Food Crush Hospitality. Our first project um, in September 2019 um was this restaurant called goose feather it's in mm-hmm. Terrytown, um new york it's located in the Terrytown house estates hotel um which is a beautiful property 26 acre property um it, it's afforded us to have a lot of space outside so we're trying to figure out kind of like how do we make this happen in the winter yeah um, it's you know the hospitality brand that encompasses all of our restaurant all, all of our restaurant goings 
um, consulting deals, management deals, um, uh, catering, um, but it also handles things like, you know, our, our, uh, the media end of it. My wife and I are really active in, in, and it's one of the things we love to do is kind of create and, um, write treatments for shows. Um, you know, I'm writing with a friend of mine in LA, we're writing screenplay about, um, kind of like this, this, the whole sushi world, because I've had a taste of it and, and, and some, some tie-ins into this, into sushi world. So we're writing a screenplay. Um, you know, my wife still, uh, does hosting gigs and, 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 um, she does some acting. So it kind of encompasses all this. And, uh, while we're still shopping around some, um, you know, shopping some, um, or pitching some, uh, restaurant ideas to, uh, to out there to hopefully find a home. Uh, we're opening a Taldi in one of the airports, um, uh, one okay. of the airports that hasn't been released yet, but we're opening a Taldi there. Um, hopefully when this whole, uh, when life gets to normal and people are traveling on a regular basis, uh, you guys will kind of, uh, we'll be able to see it and see what we're doing in, in, in the New York airports. But, uh, you know, we're actively shopping a Taldi around. Um, we're working with the hotel here on some cool activations for the winter at the Terrytown House Estate with, uh, just some kind of, you know, some fun ideas of how to how to activate a lot of the kitchens that they have. You know, the the hotel here was was a lot did a lot of banquets and and big events, and obviously those have kind of gone away. Yeah, there's a lot of space and a lot of kitchens that um, we can do some cool stuff. So we're playing with the idea of doing some ghost kitchens. Um, hopefully, doing a, a Detroit style pizza um, concept out of one of the kitchens, uh, the empty kitchens here, uh, and just really playing around with. Um, with a lot of the space that we have here in Terrytown, and uh, that's what Food Crush does. Love it. How's working with your wife? It's awesome and hard. Yeah. Um, but you know, I've, I, 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 like a lot of business people and 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 partnerships. I've had really terrible partners, and um, it's ended kind of bad. And you know, you have partners that you can't trust, and you know, when it's your wife, you know that you can trust your partner. Um, you know, hoping that if she does take from me, it goes into her account. <laughs> <laughs> That's too funny. Yeah. I, I work with my husband as well. So, um, great. I mean, you know what I mean? Like there's, 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 there's a level of trust that there's, that you couldn't, that there's, there's a level of trust there that you could never have with anybody else. You know what I mean? Uh, and you know that the person, even though you disagree, they're just, the idea is that it's not, they're always looking for the best, what's best for everybody, not or what's best for us. Um, and, you know, I've had partners that it wasn't like that. It was about them and, um, you know, what, what, how, how they could line their pockets and how they could get clout. And it's like, it's, it's shitty. It's like, listen, I'm just trying to, you know, we're just trying to under, open our honest business. And especially like, listen, like, especially with Food Crush Hospitality, it's like some of our, mon the mantra, especially here at, at Goose Feather was that like, it starts with dope and and whatever that it, it, for that it, it for me that means whatever whatever we're doing here whatever comes in through the door whoever we hire it, it has to be an amazing product yeah right where i had partners before that were like you know it, they're the first thing they said how are we gonna make money off this well i, I don't you know i think if you the mentality has it has to be a great product and then and then you can you'll figure out 
how yeah. To yeah. Figure out how to make money off of it instead of like, hey, let's just put something out that we can make money off of. Instead yeah. of like, hey, yeah. let's put an amazing product out and then figure out how to make money off of it because people will buy. People will spend for something that they va- they value. Totally. Right. If if it's like Supreme or it's like Gucci or it's like these brand names, right? You have these brand names that are like, uh, people are still buying these things. They're like almost recession proof and bulletproof, right? They built like a, um, they built, they built it where people have to have it. And not to say that we have to have what we're, what the product that we're putting out here, it's just food, but people love what we're doing. So they'll pay for it. Um, so I think that that's kind of where, um, the philosophy has changed. All right, cool. So I just have two last questions for you. Um, the second to last is um, a little bit just your cookbook is titled Asian American. And I'm just wondering, what does being an Asian American mean to you? Uh, you know, being an Asian American means to me, um, it's being caught in the middle. Uh, you're not white enough for America and you're never Asian enough for the, I was never Filipino enough for to be Filipino. Real, a real Filipino. Um, and so it's, it's like being caught in the middle and then embracing it. And at first I was like, hey, it was it was a hard place to be for a while, you know, growing up. And I never saw anyone like me on TV, you know, besides my parents being role models. I really didn't have anyone else to look up to. So I like fell into hip hop culture and like loving basketball. And that was my thing. Uh, and as I got older, it, it became this thing that I rallied around and embracing it. And it's like, you know what, it's it's kind of our time, right? It's like the Joe the Joe Coys of the world, the um the Jeremy Lins of the world, uh the Eddie Wangs of the world. Like you you know, we that's who we that's our culture now, right? We are these people. We are uh, uh, a newer kind of category. I always said this, it was like weird for me. Like whenever I took these standardized tests, it's like what are you? Pacific Islander, Asian. I was like, dude, I don't know what I am. Like, what, like, what is this? You know what I mean? Like, how could I cat? How could I? How could two words or whatever these words categorize who I am and what I am? So, um, yeah, that's that's what it became, and it became this idea of like, hey, I am an Asian American. I'm a Filipino American. I'm proud of being a Filipino American. My son will be a Filipino American. Um, a Filipino Korean American, um, and it's something to be proud of. It's like, hey, we are we are kind of defining the culture right now, right? It's like early stages of hip hop. Like, what is this? What does it mean to be an Asian American in 2020? Um, you know, a 30, 40 something year old who's coming to his own and is kind of establishing self himself or herself in the career. Um, what does it mean? We're defining those moments now. Uh, with through you know some of us through food some of us through comedy some of us through sports um but all of us through like our actions and 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 how we kind of represent who we are but also leave it pay it forward and 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 do the same for the next um the next group of asian americans that was beautiful thank you um so actually the the last question is not really a question it's a game Sure. Have you paid? Have you played the game Fuck Mary Kill? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm gonna give you three um, ingredients or dishes, and you're going to tell me which one you want to fuck, which one you want to marry, and which one you want to kill. So we have rice, 
oyster sh- oyster sauce and shrimp paste. Oh, you made it real hard. We made that real hard. Um, I'll marry. Uh, I'll marry rice. That's like my forever. That's my forever. Um, that ain't going anywhere. As as keto as 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 things need to be or how healthy things need to be, I'll still always love and eat rice. <laughs> um, fuck Mary. Fuck. I'll fuck oyster sauce. I love it. <laughs> And I'll kill shrimp paste, even though I'm Filipino and shrimp paste is such a big deal to me. Um, it is, I don't know. I love it. It's funky as shit, but I got to kill it off because I use oyster sauce way more than I use shrimp paste in my cuisine. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, Dale. I really appreciate it. Hey, no doubt. Thanks for having me. This is super fun. And uh, yeah, man, stay safe. And uh, thank you again for having me. And uh, it was a real honor to, to be on this. And thanks so much for listening. To learn more about the food and discovery platform that is the Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. Be sure and follow us on Instagram at thefeedfeed and please follow Dale as well. If you have a food story to tell or you want us to interview a blogger, cookbook author, chef, or restaurateur about a specific country or region and its cuisine, we'd love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.